just talking to people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's conversations, you know, and I'm good at that. You know, I have a natural gift from God to be able to communicate with people and relate to people. Um, and I learned so much from talking to people. The best thing that I ever learned in life is if you listen more than you speak, you'll always be able to understand somebody. And one thing that I learned is that we are much more alike than we are different. We just make that more complicated. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Leah Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan, Jr., um, I want to say thank you to everyone who has been supporting the podcast. It's actually funny. I've been getting a lot of texts and, you know, just a lot of, you know, good feedback on people watching the podcast during this, this quarantine time. So I really appreciate that. Um, if anybody is, you know, interested in looking at the podcast, episodes two through eight are available on YouTube. Episodes one through eight are available on all your streaming um, audio platforms on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor specifically. Um, so, um, before we get into, you know, who our guest is, I also want to send a special, um, shout out and prayers to, you know, everyone being affected, um, by COVID-19, the coronavirus, you know, all of our, uh, essential employees, everybody who's been affected, you know, we want to give a special, you know, prayer and shout out and condolences to, you know, everyone who's been affected, you know, anyone who's lost anybody during this time, um, allow us to just, you know, send prayers and love to those, to those people right now. Um, and, and, and without further ado, we're going to go and, you know, introduce who, who our guest is. Um, as one, one of the things that I've done in, in starting this podcast, I, I've mentioned a few different times that, like, when I initially started this podcast, there were a select few people who I had in mind that I wanted to, like, sit down and have a conversation with. And this individual actually was one of those, you know. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to, like, having this conversation, highlighting her and, you know, allowing her to share her story with us. So without further ado, we have Mrs. Brandy Wilkinson. She's a mother, a wife, and a licensed funeral director, embalmer, and owner of Wilkinson's Funeral Home, the actual first black woman to own and operate a funeral home right here in Akron, Ohio. Brandy, what's happening with you? What's up, man? Thanks I, for the invitation. Oh, no problem, man. I'm, I'm, real, I'm actually very, very excited, you know, you know what I'm saying, for this. I have I have no idea about funeral homes. I have no idea about the business of them. Um, but I'm very intrigued, and I'm intrigued to hear about your story, man. You know what I'm saying? So thanks thanks for coming on, for real. I really appreciate, appreciate you, it. man. So so the way that I do it is, you know, I, I really want to highlight your story. So, you know, let's let's start at the beginning. You know, what was what was childhood Brandy like? You know, what what was it like for 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 Brandy, Brandy, the, the little Brandy? You know, what, what was it like from here, here in this city? What can you remember when you think back of your childhood memories? Um, so I'm the baby. I have two older sisters. Okay. And, um, so some say that had his hands full. Yeah. So look, some, some say spoiled, but I don't know, you know, that's, that, that remains to be seen. (laughs) But, uh, um, my mother, um, was actually, um, you know, the HNIC of the household. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she, um, she was an educator. She was a teacher. So when I was growing up, um, when I was at elementary at Schumacher, she was teaching there. Okay. And so um, it was cool, though, you know, to have your mother there. Um, but at the same time, you couldn't get away with much because everybody knew who my mom was. Right. Um, but it was, you know, I had a I had a very good childhood, honestly. Um, I stayed on a dead end street on the west side. 
And so I was close to a lot of um, other kids that were on the street and um, two of them I'm best friends with to this day. And so, you know, you good. I was good, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and part of my like preparation to have this conversation, I do a little bit of research on individuals. You know, I talk to people who are close to the, you know, to, to the guests a little bit. Man, who you talk to? <laughs> I ain't gonna tell you on camera. I tell you when we get done. I'm gonna tell you after, afterwards. All right. Um, but one thing that was like, you know, prevalent, and it was, you know, it was pretty, you know, I, I was able to kind of get the feeling of this is that you had a real love for music. Um, and you were like a huge music lover. Um, tell me about like your experience with um, the fully committed youth choir. Um, okay. Youth choirs in, in general, like, you know what I'm saying? Tell, tell me about that experience. Cause oh, man. In, my, in my research, I learned that like the fully committed youth choir was like a big deal. Like I didn't know right. anything about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. I, I grew up in the church, like for the standpoint of like, you know, we went to church and things like that, but I didn't necessarily have a church home. So I really wasn't aware of, you know, the ins and outs and things like that. So when I heard that this, you know, this youth choir was really like, you know, y'all was really the shit. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I want to <laughs> hear about this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. experience, you know, like within that youth choir and like, why music specifically? Why do you think you have such a love for music? Man, honestly, you know, growing up, um, so my mother, even though I was raised in the church, um, my mother was still um, out here kicking it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so um, she would have company over to the house and I can hear they would be in the basement. And they have all the old jams just blasting through the house. You know, I wasn't allowed to go downstairs, but right. I could hear, you know, the music. And so I think that's where I first fell in love with music in general um, through uh, my mother. But then as um, we started going to church, um, the church that I was going to, which was Second Baptist, we had a youth choir and they were just, you know, it was just um, it was an older congregation. And so, honestly, I was dying inside, like, man, get me out of here. And my mom wouldn't let me um, leave Second Baptist until uh, I graduated high school, mm -hmm. um, technically. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so, how did Fully Committed come about? So, I was, where was I? I was somewhere, I don't even remember, but I ran into Paula Smith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Paula was like... Um, you know, she's like, I belong to Mount Calvary. We have this outstanding youth choir and I would love if you could come and be a part. So, and I was like 14 at the time. And so I begged my mom, like, can I please go over to Mount Calvary? And so, um, she, she let me and she, but she only let me go to Mount Calvary on youth Sundays. Okay. And so I still had to go to Second Baptist on all the other Sundays, but man, Fully committed was lit, and uh, <laughs> I got so many memories, man. We just had a good time, and um, we sounded good. I mean, it was a good sounding choir, right? And um, we were just all on the same page. We was, you know, on a uh, fire for the Lord. It was just, uh, man, it was just crazy. It was crazy. I mentioned it. I, I mentioned this year. I'm like, I'm like. Fully committed, you were. I said, I said, I didn't even know Paula. You know what I'm saying? She was like, she looked at me, she was like, what? She was like, Paula was a big deal. Like, she right. is a big deal. She's known throughout the city for this 
for this youth choir. Mount Calvary had like the best youth choir in in the city. That's you know those words, you know. Um, and it's and it's just so funny how everything kind of just works in unison because um I actually met Paula 10 years ago in college at Stark okay. State when I met is when I met Paula. So I didn't even know her to have this musical background. Um mm-hmm. so it's just interesting how how it all works. Tell me, like, you know, what do you think like just some of your your biggest experience that you took from, you know, that 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 youth choir? Um well, so with me having two older sisters, um, I got a chance to have a sense of community with peers my age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all had the same, I don't want to say goal, but maybe likeness in mind. Mm-hmm. And so um, the biggest takeaway for me, I mean, I, I just enjoy it, man. I had to. I had to go to every rehearsal. I had to go to everywhere that they sang because uh, it just made me feel a part of something. And it's something that I already love to do anyway, which was singing. And it just, it ain't getting no better than that, man. Yeah, yeah. And so this ultimately evolved into you being at the choir at Bukhtu. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about like, you know, yeah, I told you I did my research. I told you I did my research. <laughs> yeah, so tell me, tell, me, tell me about your experience, like, you know, being in, in, in the choir in, in high school. Because again, man, it's, it's so interesting to me to like hear these different experiences. Like when I was in school, uh, granted, I was an athlete, I played sports. Like mm-hmm. the choir was for the lames, man. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> no choir, you know what I'm saying? But as right. I got older, I've grown like a real appreciation for not just church, but, you know, the music, the singing, just everything that kind of just, you know, falls right. behind it. And I really have an appreciation for, like, synchronized singing and things. So just talk, talk to me a little bit about that experience, like being a teenager and being in the choir. It was dope, man. I mean, yeah. like, you, you, like, I consider myself to be sort of popular at Bookville. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't have to be corny to be in the choir. Okay. And so, uh I mean, we just check, had a check good me, time. Check me time. real quick. Check me real quick. <laughs> I wasn't no lame, nigga. Right, right. <laughs> no, but um, it was cool. Uh, Mr. Drone, um, who I love to this day, he really set the foundation for um, the gospel choir at Bukto. Okay. And um, yeah, he he laid it out, man. And I, I had I have a lot of fond memories um, to this day. And then even the people that I met in the choir um that were doing like the the music um like uh brad reeves um brandon scarborough mm-hmm. um, some of the musicians darrell williams i'm mm-hmm. still close with them today mm-hmm. and so it was a it was a huge impact for me um because my older sisters weren't all into gospel like that and so um i can even remember one year i asked my mom for uh, like Mississippi Mass Choir tape for Christmas, you know what I mean? She was like, "What? Who? Ain't nobody asking for that." So you know, just my love for music, um, but specifically gospel. Um, and then I had those outlets such as Fully Committed and um, Bookto Man, kind of you know really shaped me and my spirituality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's dope. That's dope. Talk to me a little bit about like your experience as a student. And the reason I asked that question is because, like I said prior, you know, one thing that I really try to do is highlight specifically entrepreneurs on this platform. And, you know, in my conversation I've had with people on the platform and just outside of this, 
a lot of people don't always, you know, take to the school thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested to know, like, what was your experience as a student specifically? Like, were you a student who was like, all right, I, I can do it, so I'm going to get it done? It was like, man, I can't wait till this shit is over so I can go ahead and get to the next part of my life. What was your experience as a student? So um, elementary, middle, you know, I was all in. Mm -hmm. um, high school is sort of where I started to drift. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I was, I was, you know, I mean, I don't even think, well, I know I wasn't a straight A student. You know, that ain't my testimony. Right. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I managed to hang in there and I was active at Bookville, um, you know, student council and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um really when I got to Kent is when I was like, yeah, yeah, let me hurry up and get out of here. Because yeah. that really college wasn't really, honestly, when I was at um, book though, um, I, I don't even know if anybody knows this. I contemplated going into the Navy because <laughs> I didn't want to go to college. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you take the test and all of that too? Yes, no. Nah. <laughs> you contemplated. You just thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it. And I even told my mom that I didn't want to go to school. And she was like, you know, hey, cool. If you don't want to, that's fine. See, that's that's dope because, you know, that was like a time period. And even though I'm a, just a little bit younger than you, we still kind of come up in a time period where the elders, like everything was put on us to go to school, get you a good job. Like right. that was how that was your path to success. So that's mm -hmm. actually real dope. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, and refreshing to hear that your mother was just supportive of, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, going back just a little bit again in, in my research. Um. What is this that I hear about this Christmas album that you that you recorded? Where is this Christmas album at? <laughs> Buried where it should be. <laughs> has, it, has it ever seen the light of day? For a minute. And then, okay. you know, I have funeral services for it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah it's buried now. <laughs> Wait a minute. So talk, take me through that. Like, how do you even, like come to record a Christmas album? Like, who who presented you with that offer? Was this something you came up with? How did you even, like, you know, come up come about with that? So, my favorite time of year is Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I love Christmas music. And I hate it. I ain't gonna lie. I hate it. Do you? I like, like, three Christmas songs. I like Donnie Hathaway, This Christmas. Uh-huh. Like Destiny's Child. Uh, I can't even think of the name of the song. And I like, uh, when Santa Claus Come to the Ghetto by... <laughs> Death Row. That's it. Everything else, I'm cool on. Man, you crazy. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I, I pretty much like all uh, you know the soulful, uh, the white. You know, I, mm -hmm. I just love Christmas music, and so I don't even know. This was years ago, man. <laughs> uh, I think I may have went to Brandon. Like, I kind of want to sing a couple of songs. Okay. Either I went to Brandon or Darrell. I don't remember. Maybe Brandon and um. You know, they was all in. Mm -hmm. And so I did like a little EP. I did like three or four songs. And, mm -hmm. you know, ain't nothing much to talk about. Okay. All right. Well, you, you recorded, you know what I'm saying, a real album. That's it. You know, everybody can't say they got a, a, a Christmas album recorded, man. So you, <laughs> you got you got that off your bucket list. You could tell. Yeah, you it was really, that's really what it was. Yeah. Like, you know, I just wanted to see if I had enough confidence to do it. Yeah, you only you only got one life, man. Shoot right. your shot. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not mad at that. Um, yeah. So 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 cor correct me if I'm wrong. Um, because the way that I heard it was, uh, 
your parents' friend was a mortician, and she she always wore suits, and you had like an affinity for her wearing suits. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And that is kind of like what sparked the idea into you ultimately kind of go down this path. Like, mm -hmm. what was it about her that like really stood out to you? Like, because again, man, like like I said at the beginning, like. I have no idea about the funeral home business and like morticians and things. I have no idea, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I didn't even know, I didn't even know mortician was a business until maybe 10, 12 years, <laughs> 12, yeah. 12 years ago, you know what I'm saying? So like, tell me what it was about her that stood out to you. That was like, man, you know, she, she's dope. You know, this is different. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what it was. It was, she would come over to my mom's house um, maybe after work, you know, I was kind of young, so, um, and they would sit at um, the dining room table, and they'd just be laughing, they'd have a couple drinks, and um, she would always be killing, I mean, her suits every day, mm -hmm. and she drove a Mercedes, and I was like, what did this woman do, and she just, she was just real put together, mm -hmm. and I was like, I want to find out what she does. And then once I found out that she was a mortician, um, her, she has a daughter that uh, is around the same age as me. And she would bring her at the time they were living in Youngstown. So she would bring her to Akron and we would play. And um, I went to where she worked at, um, at the funeral home a few times. And me and her daughter would play, you know, in the um, chapel and whatnot while she was doing her work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really where it, uh where it began just you know just off the straight fashion for real is what got me i was like dang and then um once i found out what she did i was like wow this is really interesting and that's and honestly i buried that thought and started looking into other um professions and then came back to it so how how old were you when you when you uh ended up going with her and your friend and things how, how old were you, you uh i'm middle school really yeah. So, like, did you ever have any, like, initial hesitation, like, oh, she, you know, worked with dead people. I'm cool on that. Like, was it any any of that? Nah, I was like, I don't care what she do. I want a Mercedes and I want them suits. And so, that's how I was looking at it. And you, and you know what? Like, it's so it's, it's just so good that you say that because that's the, the, the power of, you know, um, exposure. And mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying the power of influence, like you, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying. You didn't even know what this woman did, did, right. but you knew that she, like you said, she was well put together. She was polished. Um, she, you know, she looked like she had her things in order. You know, man, what did she do? That's so powerful, especially mm -hmm. you know for us as black people and black kids specifically. Like you know what I'm saying. So I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's seeing you today and saying saying the exact same thing. So that's so that's very very powerful. Um, what about some of your earlier, you know? Uh, influences of, of entrepreneurs or just business owners outside of her. Can you kind of like speak on who, who they were? Uh, you know, honestly, um, I would really have to think for a minute because um, even though entrepreneurship was always the goal for me, mm -hmm. um, I didn't seek looking for mentors or uh, and I hate that I didn't. I wish I would have. But um, so I, I really didn't fall in line watching people own their own businesses. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, my mother was my um, was my mentor and yeah. she was a school teacher, like I said. So um, whatever I fell in line to do, I just wanted to do it well. And so, like, do you remember, like, what about with, like, your parents and stuff? Did did you guys have any conversations about 
business and like you know having your own things like was there ever any type of conversations about that at all was it ever you know being being done at home no honestly yeah. Yeah. my mom um we didn't have those talks it was more like um you can do whatever you put your mind to it was those type of talks but it wasn't like hey you need to own your stuff we didn't have those conversations yeah um and i don't know if because that's not where she was you know yeah. what i mean but um we didn't have those so yeah, nope. yeah well I'm, I'm sure i'm sure it's a variety of you know different reasons why you know what i'm saying you didn't have those conversations but a big part of like i said earlier is you know that really wasn't those times <laughs> you, you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying we talking about the 90s like that wasn't right. you know, a thing for you know um for parents to kind of like instill entrepreneurship in their kids you know they was trying to make sure that we were safe and make sure that we were mm -hmm. secure. You know what I'm saying? So going to school and getting a job was the best way to, to do that. Like even, right. even for me, you know, my mother, she worked at Chrysler, you know, mm -hmm. having a, having a job in the auto industry, you know, at Chrysler, Goodyear, Firestone, those were, you know, considered to be very good jobs. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Those, you know, gave you a certain type of like, you know, um, access to resources to where like, you know, man, you can, you can survive and take, take care of your family. So, right. you know, I, I have that same type of, you know, story as well. You know, we definitely didn't have conversations about, you know, entrepreneurship or like business owning and owning and things like that. Right. Um, it's also similar to yours in the standpoint that like, I can remember, <clears throat> you know, just seeing certain people, um, whether I didn't realize it at the time or not, who did own that business, like, you know, whether that be barbers, beauticians, you know, right. all kind of seeing people, you know, taking matters into their own hand. Um, so it, it was powerful, you know, and kind of, you know, ultimately just worked this way out, you know, God, God got his way of, you know, work, work, working things out for sure. Right. Um, right. um, so going, going forward, going forward, just, just a little bit. Um, and you know, we spoke, we spoke about this prior. Um, you ended up, you know, having your child, you end up getting your child journey. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I love that name first off. And, and I'm not even sure if like, you know what I'm saying? Y'all ended up naming her that just due to, you know, some of the experience that you had, but can you just talk a little bit about the experience with having journey, you know, and, you know, having, you know, with your husband and everything and, you know, just say your experience with her. Cause I know you had some, you know, infertility um, concerns and things like that. Um, could you please speak to that? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I think I was in mortuary school mm -hmm. and I started having the conversation with um, one of the teachers there that um, she she was like, well, um, if you want to have a family, you need to start now. Mm. And so um, that sort of started sticking in my mind. I'm like, wow. So, and I ended up getting married while I was in mortuary school. Mm. And so um, I was, you know, talking to, Demarcus and I was saying, hey, um, we may need to jump on a family because I'm about to be around all these toxic chemicals and bombing going to school. Wow. And this teacher said, if you want to start your family, you need to start now before you start getting too in, um, in too deep. So um, he was like, okay, cool. So, you know, we was trying, mm -hmm. having a good time. And um, to no avail, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when I graduated um, mortuary school, I moved back to Akron and I was at one of my girlfriend's um, bachelorette parties. And I was having this um, really sharp pain on my side. Mm 
And I knew something was wrong because I wasn't kicking it with him. And I'm like, something is not right because I should be kicking it right now. I wasn't feeling well. Mm -hmm. So the next day, um, which was a Sunday, um, I was telling Demarcus, like, my side is killing me. He said, let's go to emergency. So I went to emergency and um, ended up having a cyst on um, my ovary. And so uh, apparently the cyst had grown so large that um, he had to remove the whole ovary before it ruptured. And so um, not only did he remove my ovary, but he removed my fallopian tube. So that only left me with one left, one fallopian tube and one ovary. (coughs) It was a really, really devastating experience because I was only like 24 And, um, I mean, we weren't married a year yet, you know? And Mm so, uh, so we were going through all that. And then, um, I started seeing a fertility specialist because I'm like one ovary, one for fallopian tube. What, what do I do? And so he was like, well, you could still get pregnant with just having one. And so he was like, you know, keep trying, keep trying. So we ended up trying and I did end up getting pregnant. But um, this time it was um, in my fallopian tube. So it was a tubal pregnancy. And um, so they had to remove the whole tube. And so uh, there was the, my only hope for getting pregnant was vitro fertilization. So we did um, probably maybe four rounds of in vitro, which is very, and this is over a course of maybe two years or so. Because you got to go through all these steps before you can actually go through the process. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it's, you know, it's like $10,000 every cycle. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, thankfully, DeMarcus has some, had some really good insurance at the time. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to pay um, 10000 We may have paid two okay thousand dollars yeah so (laughs) so you know we went through that process and anyway each time it failed and they really did not have a reason as to why it was failing they thought my fertility doctor had even looked up um, the effects of embalming fluid um and so you know we just we just don't know and so at that point i was exhausted physically emotionally spiritually just tapped out Mm-hmm. And so I said, babe, um, what do you think about adoption? He said, whatever you want to do. And so we went to um, classes to become foster parents and all that. And that's just, I mean, kudos to foster parents. That is a, a strenuous process. You know what I mean? Because unfortunately, the babies in the system, they get gone first. And so you have teenagers um and, and maybe middle school kids that are left and if i'm only 24 what how am i going to raise a 13 year old you know what i mean or for so it was um you know it was stressful trying to find an infant cuz that's what we wanted you know mm-hmm. and so um i was sharing with um a young lady um and um i was telling her our journey and um, she was like, well, um, I'm pregnant. And, uh, and this was months and months later after I had shared my story with her. She said, I'm pregnant and I want to know if you and your husband can adopt the baby. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, Lord, is this you? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't even ask for this. It just came out of nowhere. I mean, he knew what I had been praying about. 
And so we met with her. And the cool thing about this, John, is that um, Journey, I went to all her doctor's appointments. Um, when she was born, um, I was there. DeMarcus cut the cord. Wow. So it's like she's she was ours, man. You know what I mean? And so um, that was a really, really cool experience and which we did name her journey because it was a journey. Yeah. And um, so we're really, really blessed to have her. And, you know, she she off the hook now. You know, she's nine <laughs> years old. But, <laughs> but that's my girl. And I wouldn't trade her for the world. And that yeah. has been the biggest blessing that we have ever received. Yeah, that's that's dope, man. You know, shout out to you and Demarcus, you know, for that. Um, What what do you think? It's just like the the biggest just lesson that you think you took you took from that. You know, what what's some like you think you guys learn, you know, whether that be you individually, you know, as a marriage and as a couple, what do you, what do you think that you guys and yourself, you know, learned in that experience? Um, I think a few things, maybe the first thing is that, um, we were, we were married for five years first. And so I think maybe the Lord could have been like, you guys need to figure out who you guys are and be married and enjoy you guys. Um, first, because we didn't, um, we weren't engaged long. We were only engaged six months and then we got married. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I take that as a blessing that maybe we needed to work on us and get to know each other mm -hmm. and um, spend time as husband and wife. Um, I also um, took away that um, sometimes um, God wants us to be patient and um, that's a huge thing for me because I want everything now. And so uh, I, I overstand. Huh? <laughs> I said, I overstand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, really just a spiritual thing for me. And that's when, um, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but when, when all this process was going and when, it, when all this was happening, that's when um, I was called into ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it just it just has a way of working itself out, man. It's crazy. Yeah. And and it's and you know the reason why I really wanted you to speak about that here is because number one, um, as a man, I am <laughs> I am okay with admitting that like you know we have no idea you know just the amount of just like trials and tribulations that women really experience. And you know Sierra and myself, we just had our first child a few a few months ago, and like. I've learned so much through about the birthing process and just like, you know, just how, you know, um, even the pregnancy aspect of it, I've, I've learned so much about it, you know, just kind of being a part of it that I don't think a lot of times us as men, we don't always consider, you know, the amount of stress that, that women are under, um, you know, the amount of, you know, how the socialization aspect comes into it. Like you said, you know, you was a, you were a young woman, you know, and ultimately a lot of it had to do with your, um, your career path, but still a lot of people don't always approach men and say, Hey, you got to hurt me get, have babies, yada, yada, yada. That's an aspect that women have to deal with mm -hmm. um, that, that we, that we, you know, we, we just don't have to, you know, um, ex experience that, you know, but I do think it's important for, for men to hear these stories, you know, and understand the impact, you know, understand the things that women go through. Cause I'll be the first one to admit, man, men don't have shit on women. You know, women are <laughs> so much more stronger than men without, without question, you know, but I, yeah. I don't care. I'll bet that against anybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when you can, when you can breastfeed a kid all day, every day, 
and like that has to stay on you, that will show you something right. Like, I love I love my kid to the death, but after about an hour and a half, right? Hey, hey, I'm I'm pa- I'll pass it even longer. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, I appreciate you, you know, sh- sharing that. You know, um, I'm sure a lot of people are gonna you, you know be able to get a lot of value you know, from that. Um, going going back a little bit, you know, you did talk a little bit about when you were in mortuary school. How did the idea of mortuary school even come about? Again, I didn't even know mortuary school was a thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? How, when did when did that yeah. come about? When did you realize, like, you know what? I'm going to mortuary school. Yeah. So uh, I was at Kent. Um, I went in for psychology. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I was going to be a psychologist. That mm-hmm. was just my, my ultimate goal. I wanted my own practice. Mm-hmm. And then... And shifted. I think it was because I was tired of school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know if I want to get my PhD, I'm going to have to keep on going. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have it in me anymore. Right. And so I started thinking, what, what other passions do I have hidden that I could really tap into? And so the first thing I thought of was grief counseling. And so I did a little research on that. And I was like, I still kind of need to go to school a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And then um, I tapped into uh, my mom's friend. And then I said, wow, I could really, let me look, start looking up mortuary schools. And that's how it happened, man. So when I graduated Kent, I uh, took a few months off and then I moved to Cincinnati. And went to mortuary school. Yeah. So what, <laughs> explain to me, like, is it is it more hands-on experience? Are you guys doing lecture? Is it just like any other um major that you that you have like explain that process to me yeah it's just like any other college um you got your regular classes i had um chemistry anatomy biology um uh, you know a few other courses related to death care Mm. and then you had lab Mm-hmm. And lab was the time where you got to work on cadavers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a, if you already have your bachelor's degree, it's a year long process. So I went from <coughs> March to March straight, 12 months. If you don't have your bachelor's, you have to go for two years. And so I didn't have to stay, you know, an extra year, but it's just like regular school. You know, you get in, you go to class. Um and you learn, you know, you got different teachers for different subjects. And then your lab time is when you have, you know, when you do what you do. So what what is it about what is it about the process that you that you can enjoy? Is it the actually being with the cadaver? Like what what are you doing? Like are you <laughs> like I, obviously I know that y'all get them dressed and y'all get them prepared for to for presentation, but mm-hmm. like what what is what is the process? Explain it to me. Um so you mean like the process of embalming? I don't even know what embalming is. <laughs> what is that? Okay, so um, embalming is like process of um, sanitizing the remains, disinfecting the remains. So what you do is um, you drain the blood and put the embalming fluid in. Okay. Preserve the body. Okay. And that's the ultimate goal is preservation. Okay. Um, I mean, how technical you want me to get? <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going. I'm really listening. I'm intrigued. Keep going. Uh, so the process of embalming, um, you know, starts um, like right in your clavicle, which is your collarbone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So you make an incision like right on your collarbone and you search for um, two main vessels, which is your right common carotid artery and your right jugular. And your jugular is where you drain the blood from, but your carotid artery is where you put the embalming fluid in. And that's it, really. I mean, you know, that's, you know, on the surface. So have you ever had any creepy moments? Hey, yeah. You've got to like, okay, time out. So have it. Listen, it's got, do you ever feel like, okay, this is some, it's spirits, it's like some, some, some spirits going around when you're dealing with people's, you know, physical bodies. Like, do you have spiritual experiences when when you're doing this, like good or bad? Spiritual experiences? Yes. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, nah, I mean you gotta explain what you mean. Okay, so when you say you have creepy moments, what are you what are you referring to? Oh, I'm referring to like <laughs> not spiritual as in like spiritual awakening, but like where you feel like you have you feel in the person's body that you're dealing with, you may feel their spirit in the room or something Heck, like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's too deep. That's too yeah, deep. Yeah, I don't fool with that. No. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. I'm talking about like if a hand fall down and I hear, you know oh, what I mean? Okay, I'm talking okay. about creepy like that. Okay, okay. So like, um, like jumping out on you, something. Okay. Right, or something. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so what, what, what about that process did you like fall in love with? Um, so for me, the first time I embalmed a body and, uh, you know, once we got it dressed in the casket, the family's reaction is what got me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you see that family and how pleased they are and the comments that you hear, that's for me, that fueled me. And I was like, wow, I can really do this. Um, and so that drive for me is the is really what I get from the family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not pers- what I do in the embalming room. It's what comes from that. Okay. So it's a, it's, a, it's the service that you provided for for the family right. and for the for the individual. Right. I, I got you. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That's dope. That, that, that's dope. Mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate that. Um. So at at one point in time, you ultimately you touched on this a little bit ago. You ultimately, you know. Uh, when it's a ministry, how did how did that come about? Because like you said, you know, you came up in the church like you know you guys went to church and everything like that, but your parents weren't necessarily in in ministry. Doesn't sound like so. How did that even come about? Come about for you? So, like I said, I mean, it was it was different. I mean, you know how you I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but because you have siblings, right? You got siblings, yeah. but yeah. you ever feel like you just a different child? Absolutely. That's how I felt. Like I knew something was about to be different about me. I didn't know what, because even when I was younger, like I said, I would ask for Mississippi Mass concerts, but or um, CDs. But you know, I'm blasting rap still. You know what I mean? So, um, but I knew something was in me so much that um, my mom and my sisters um, used to tease me and call me Little Shirley Caesar. And so, uh, you know, and so even with all that, I put that, you know, on the back burner. I didn't feel like I was necessarily called to the ministry, but I still felt different. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I was going through this whole experience of infertility, I was just in a really, really dark place. And that's where the Lord called me. Like, 
girl, you know, I got so much more in store for you if yeah. you just say yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I said yes, man. And I um, went and I talked to pastor and told him that the Lord had called me. And um, it was my decision to ultimately go to um, seminary. Yeah. Because so, I kind of, you know, my mom was big on education. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't really push it, but I knew she was strong on it. Like, if you want to be in, in a specific field, know yeah, all that you can about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was like, I need to go to seminary. And and it was so crazy, man, because when I filled out my application, you had to write like a um, two or three page letter of about your calling. Mm. And so I just poured out in this letter about my struggle with um, infertility and blah, 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 blah. And the admissions, one of the ladies in the um, admissions office, um, when she sent my acceptance letter, she also sent me a book and said she struggled with infertility too. Mm. And um, had and wrote a nice little um, little piece in the book on, you know, how to get through dark times when you're going through infertility. And I was like, man, this is God. I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It was crazy. So what do you, what do you think the biggest experience that you took from like, you know, just being in ministry and and even how it connects to what you're doing today? What did, what did you learn within ministry that, that kind of like served you the most? Uh, man, that's a tough question. You know, um, that's really a tough question because I feel like everything I do is ministry centered. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I feel like I'm living a life of ministry. Mm-hmm. And so everything um, gratifies me and fulfills me because I know it's ministry. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, it does, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, I, I feel like what I'm doing here is ministry. You know, I think that anytime you are serving, um, you do, you're doing something, you know, out of a serve, serving heart that that in itself is ministry. You know, <laughs> a lot of a lot of time we get that we, we get that misconstrued, you know, and attaching ministry to to church and religion specifically. And that's not necessarily necessarily the case. So I, I understand um, mm-hmm. com- com- completely um, being here in Akron. As a as a kid going to funerals as a, as a kid, there was only two that I knew. There was Rodin, and there was Stewart and Calhoun. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know nothing else, but I knew about Rodin and Stewart and Calhoun. I knew about mm-hmm. the funeral homes. I just, I just I knew what the vehicles looked like. I knew that. Like <laughs> I knew when I seen their billboards, I seen seen them. Um, right. You ultimately ended up having was it an internship at at, at Stewart or Calhoun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about that internship specifically there, you know, because again, people who are from here, they know the roots of Stewart and Calhoun. Right. They ultimately been able to like you know expand to to different areas and things like that. But Stewart and Calhoun was the is the you know prominent funeral you know um, home here here in the area. So just talk right. to me a little bit about your experience even being there. So, um, yeah, when I graduated mortuary school, I reached out to them. No, no, no. So before, when I graduated from Kent, I knew I was going to mortuary school. So I said, well, let me get my feet wet at a funeral home before I go to school. Mm-hmm. So I went down to Stewart and Calhoun. I told them who I was and what I was getting ready to do. 
-hmm. And they immediately took me under their wing. And um, I learned a great deal before I even got to mortuary school. Um, I was the so secretary. Before you even went to, to yeah. Okay. Okay. So I was. Um, so they ended up hiring me to be the secretary. Um, so I worked like part time a couple of days a week, and then I would go and watch them like dress bodies and whatnot. And so I had a little exposure before I left. And so when I um, was at mortuary school, um, actually, um, Akron wasn't my first choice. I really kind of didn't want to come back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just uh, the other funeral homes that I had interviewed for just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up serving my apprenticeship at Stuart and Calhoun and they kept me on and I ended up being there for about 10 years. Mm. Yeah, that's that's dope, man. And you know what I like? You know what I like about that story the most? You said you started as a secretary. You know, yeah. I- there's a lot. There's a lot of power in starting, you know, um, at the bottom, so to speak, to mm-hmm. ultimately to where you are now. What you think was like? Why was why was that experience so so important? Like being a secretary. What did you learn being a secretary that helped you? You know, to ultimately having your own today. So, um, uh, so uh, when I got to mortuary school, I knew that I wanted my own funeral home. I didn't know if it was gonna happen, but that was my ultimate goal. And so um, when I went um, back to Stuart and Calhoun, working in the office, I still needed to know all that I needed to know if I was going to run my own one day. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't mind answering these phones. I need to know, you know, how to do this stuff. So yeah. it was cool. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, that's that's cool. So you, so you saying that you always knew that, eventually you wanted to have it on your own. Yes. So I heard, the way that I heard it was, you had to be pushed a little bit (laughs) into business, just a little bit. I did. Yeah, I still knew. So, okay. You know how you know that you want to do something, but life happens? Mm -hmm. That's what happens. So I knew, I always knew that I wanted my own. But then bills came and i'm like i got to work i can't afford going out on my own right now and that's kind of where i got stuck you know what i mean and then um you know people did push me you know a couple of people were like you need to just go ahead and do it and i'm like with what money you know what i mean so now was it was it were there were there any other fears or just hesitations there outside outside of just like you know having to survive in, in the moment were there any other fears that you felt you know you was experiencing yeah, uh, it's a fear that I still have today, which is failure. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't put all my chips on the table. And so if I fail, ain't no turning back, you know? And the fact that I know or I knew what I was getting into, I knew that I was opening up a funeral home in the heart of some rich, deep culture, mm-hmm. um, some, some historical funeral homes. So, you know what I mean? I knew all that, you know, because I was a part of um, one of them. So I knew what I was getting into, but that that fear is still, you know, with me because like you said, all people know is the others, you know what I mean? And so for me, trying to tap into getting them to come over mm-hmm. you know that's always and will probably be you know something that i'm concerned about right right so with with that you know with the with the culture and the history of it what was your like initial reception like being a woman and being a black woman in this space you know stepping stepping out into your own 
did you get a lot of support from, you know, from, you know, mentors or, you know, people who have, have seen you kind of come up or, you know, just the competition? Like, what was the initial reaction when you did step out on your own and being and being a woman and being and being a black woman in that space? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, being a woman in funeral service was tough, period, even if you weren't an owner, mm -hmm. um, because even when I um, was when I left um, under the, the Calhoun's, I went and worked for a white funeral home for five years. Mm -hmm. And even though I was sort of at the top as a funeral director, when people walk in the door, they automatically go to a man. And the man could have been somebody that wasn't even a funeral director. Mm -hmm. But they just automatically ask them a question or share their concerns. And then that person would have to turn them and redirect them to me. And so that's happened most of my career. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always had to um, sort of fight to earn my spot, per se. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, as far as support, um, I did reach out to a couple of people just to fill them out before I kind of made it public that I was going out on my own. And um, only a handful of people um, really supported me. Um, a lot of people said it's too expensive. Um, you're not going to make no money for the first couple of years. You ain't got no money to open up your own. Where are you getting this money from? You know what I mean? So I had to deal with all of that. And even once, you know, it's been a year now since I've been on my own, I have maybe about three other funeral owners that I can call. Yeah, that's that. Well, that, that's good that you do have them um, to, you know, to kind of seek counsel with and things like that. But that's crazy that, you know, a lot of people was, you know, um, you know, just putting salt in your game, man, really trying to, yeah. trying to, trying to hold you back. But I, I've learned that, you know, in being and being an entrepreneur. Um, that comes with the territory, you know what I'm right. saying? You can't, you can't escape that. And like you, you said this earlier about being a different child, being an entrepreneur is kind of being that different child all the time as an adult. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You yeah, have, right. You got a different mindset, you know, you see yeah. things differently, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's just being optimistic more, whether that's just being creative more, you know, right. always want to place their own resistance on you out of their own fear you know, um, mm -hmm. jealousy, hate, whatever the case may be on, mm -hmm. on to you, you know what I'm right. saying? So it's so it good that you were able to like continue to, to, to push, push through that. Um, talk to me a little bit about like, you know, the business aspect of when you did start to get everything, you know, rolling or when you initially started, like, what is the process of, of, of the funding? Like, did you have to put up your own money? Like, is it bank funding? Um, did you guys, do you guys own the building? Do you rent the building? Like, what, what is the process in that? Um, so what we did when I, I sat down, I, I told the Marcus, I said, Hey, uh, I'm ready to go out on my own. And he was more than supportive and was mm -hmm. like, okay, let's do it. So we started riding around, um, and looking for buildings in Akron. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were looking at churches. We were looking at all kinds of stuff. And, um, we can't, so somebody texted me and said, Hey, what about the old, um, Joe Scott. It used to be a funeral home on Arlington. And I said, man, you're right. And so we rolled past. It was not a um, sign in the yard or anything. So we had to dig a little deeper. And um, we called and it was bank owned because it had went into foreclosure. Okay. And so uh, we we ended up contacting the, um, the bank. Mm -hmm. And um, we, you know, 
we got a, a really good deal for this building. Yeah, they wanted to get rid of it. Huh? They wanted to get rid of it. I'm they sure. wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, because yeah. it was already other. I mean, I had to, you know, um, furnish the place, but it already had like an embalming room. It had a chapel. Oh, like, wow. what you gonna do with that? So they right. wanted to get rid of that building. Right. And so, um, it was a perfect opportunity, man. And we did have um, trouble getting funding because. Um, you know, we're young and we black, mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I think we had experienced um, a denial with the bank that I just knew we were going to get a loan for. And that broke my heart. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to learn that, you know, if you don't look like certain people, you know what I mean? It's a, it's, it's more challenging. The so right, we, right complexion for the connection. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we kept moving. And we ended up finding another um, bank that was willing to work with us. And we, um, you know, we, we had to grind, man. We, 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 I still worked, even though I was trying to go out on my own, I was still working. And so um, I put my business plan together, man. I spent days up to like two, three o'clock in the morning trying to put this business plan together. And then, um, you know, we had to put down tempers, 10, 10 20%. Oh wow! Which was, you know, it was a nice hunk of change. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and by the grace of God, we came up with it. And so, what did, yeah. what did you what did you learn about yourself in, in that process of going, of going through all that and having to like do your do your due diligence, do your work, go through these different channels? What did you learn about yourself in that process? I learned something that my mother and my grandmother always told me. Um. If Brandy wants it, she going to get it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, that's what I really learned. I've always heard them say that when I was younger. Um, but that's really what I learned. I didn't take no for an answer. And this yeah. one bank, okay, you denied me. Okay, you denied me. We're going to keep going and see what yeah. we can we can come up with. So, again, I, I'm, I have no real formal education outside of the stuff that you're telling me now about the, about the funeral business. Is it a profitable business? Obviously, I can think back of the lady you was talking about who was driving the business, who was super <laughs> you know yeah, is, is it a profitable business? I, I would think that it's a business that people can ultimately scale, too, because one thing that's never going to stop happening is people going to always pass away. Right. So, the thing that First of all, I'm in my first year, and right. so I, me personally, I ain't making no money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm just gonna be all the way one hundred. Right, right. Um, but it can be profitable um, because it's you know it's all about how you um, you structure your pricing. Mm -hmm. And so um, the way I structured my pricing is that I'm 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 fairly inexpensive. Mm -hmm. And so um, that that leaves room for you to to make a profit. Right. Um, but, you know, what I've learned is that um, the minute you think you got a profit, uh, somebody about to come and get that money. So um, it, it is a very profitable business. But and although people are dying and will continue to die, how they choose to have a funeral is what is what matters for your business. Because yeah. if you're just doing nothing but direct cremations, then you're really not gonna make no money. Yeah. So you know, so that's kind of like the the toss up. So the money is really being made in the actual like the presentation of the funeral itself, and you know your more traditional funerals and ceremonies where you have people come in and, and things like that. That's where like the 
the business at the real you know money making aspect that becomes in pretty much yeah. yeah yeah so like the more you do the bigger your funeral is right the more that person can profit and it's it's really you know hard to say profit but it, i mean it is what it is yeah, you know yeah. what i mean I know what you mean. What are the misconceptions, you know, of, of, of running a business and running a funeral home specifically? Like what are the, what are the misconceptions? Cause again, in, in the entrepreneur space, and I, I would still consider myself to be a new entrepreneur, even in real estate. And even in this podcast, I still consider myself to be new. Like I've mm -hmm. only been on this journey for real, maybe like the last five or six years, um, consistently. Um, so I could still consider myself new. And I know that the, being an entrepreneur is so romanticized. It's so like, you know, it's this buzzword that everybody thinks comes with the glitz and the glamour. Um, but it's a real grind behind this. So like right. what's some of the misconceptions that you want to kind of like dispel with number one, running a business and number two, specifically as it relates to like the funeral home, like what are the misconceptions that, um, that you can speak of? Um, well, I, I think the first one, like we just talked about is that people, people think that entrepreneurs, um, uh, got money, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, that's far from the truth. Right. And, um, honestly, if I didn't have a working husband, I would certainly be struggling. <laughs> and so, uh, that's, that's really one of the biggest, um, misconceptions, you know what I mean? Prayerfully, um, my business will grow to where I can soon profit and make my own, you know, money. But, um, another misconception would be, and, and this is, you know, rightfully so, this is people's experiences is that funeral directors are crooks. Mm. And um, and I'm sure that there are some out there, you mm. know what I mean? Um, you know, not everybody is like that. You know, I'm my, my passion and my purpose is to serve mm. and I need to survive as well. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's that's a misconception. You know, not not every funeral director is a crook. Yeah. Um, another one would be that, you know, we're not friendly, you know, we're very cold or we're weird. You know, I may be weird. I don't know, but I'm friendly. We, we all work with somebody. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that's really, that's really it, man. How did it, how did it feel to hit that, that one year of business? Man, it felt great. And, you know, it was sad at the same time because we're in this quarantine and I couldn't celebrate. Yeah. Like I wanted to, right. but, um, the way I had put my business plan together, um, I had put that I, I wanted to serve four families a month mm -hmm. and, um, that would have put me at like, um, you know, close to 40 or something like that for a year. And I met that goal. And so for me, that was, you know, I mean, I'm the, the new kid on the block. And, and I did, in my opinion, well yeah. uh, for my first year. So it felt it felt good, man. Good for you. Good, good, good. Good, 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 good for you. So what's been the, we talked a little bit about this, you know, um, before we started, but like what's been the impact, um, th this virus and how it's had an effect on your business? And, you know, um, have you had to like lay, lay off any employees and things like that? Because you, you guys are still in business going no matter what. And unfortunately, you know, we're dealing with a virus that's ultimately, um, taking people's lives, you know? So what's kind of like been the, the effect and the impact on, on your business um, in, in this time? 
Um, on my business personally, I haven't had a huge impact because um, none of the families that I served um, since we've been um, experiencing this pandemic, I haven't had um, a deceased person that had the virus. And um, so I'm really thankful for that, although I'm willing to serve anybody. You know, I mean, I've heard that there are some funeral homes in New York that's turning away COVID. Yeah, which is it's crazy. Yeah, but um, I haven't. And so we've had to um, the Ohio Funeral Directors Association. They keep us up to date on the protocol that we need to follow, which is um, they want us to wear masks now. Yeah. Um, which I haven't been at work because I'm talking and I kind of it's so hard to do that in this business because a mask is so cold. You know what I mean? It shuts you off from em- all emotion. Um, yeah. But, you know, the people that have been coming in these doors are masked up by game plan. Yeah. And I appreciate that about our community because I see a lot of black folks like out at the grocery stores and whatnot still not wearing masks. Right. And so I'm like, what's going on? But when the the um, families and friends of people that have been coming in here, they've been they they've had their stuff together. Yeah, I see. I see you, you have posted on Instagram like last week. Like, what's up with people not wearing these masks? They not taking this thing serious or what? And, and for yeah. me, I feel, I feel you 100. percent I was in the grocery store yesterday, um, and it's it's actually kind of funny because like yesterday was like the first day when I was like, you know what? I'm ready for this to be over with. Right. Like. I did I did not like walking around in public with the mask, and I see every, like ninety eight percent of the people are in there with masks. If mm-hmm. you are in any type of public space with no mask on right now, you look like the eyeball. You everybody right. looks at you crazy right now. You know what I'm saying? Right. You sticking like a sore thumb. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I I definitely you know um can 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 feel feel you on that. Um, talk to me about about your goals that you see for you know your your business and just goals that you see for yourself just kind of going forward uh man i mean (laughs) it's hard to it's hard it's so hard to talk about what your goals are when you're in 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 this industry because you don't want to come off as you want to thrive off of someone dying got you You know what i mean got you but if i just got to keep it all the way real Mm-hmm. Um, eventually I want to be the Stuart and Calhoun. Mm-hmm. No, I want them, I want our our kids to be like, oh yeah, Wilkinson, they was that was it. That was the funeral. You know? So that's that is my ultimate goal. Yeah. Um to to take over the city. Real yeah. talk. Yeah. Well, hey, it's like it's like my granddad always tell me, he said, he said, Johnny, he said you 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 can't you can't you can't leave here if you don't ever come here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It don't it don't work that way, you That's know. Right. We, the only thing that we guarantee in the, in this world is transition. It it is death. So that's just that's that's just part of it, you know. And I, you know, everything has a a business to it. That's just we live in America. We live in a capitalistic society. Yeah, that's that right. is what it is. And if you're able to serve and you know provide that process for people to be, you know, have a little bit easier grieving process, then then then, then so be it. Right. Um. Talk to me about the importance of of legacy, you know, for you and Demarcus and with with Journey specifically. Like, you know, you are the entrepreneur that she is seeing at at nine years old. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How important is it for for you, you know, being a woman, being a black woman, for her to see you not just owning your business, you stepping out on your own, you doing things that are like, you know, 
that the people said that you couldn't do. Again, you're the first black woman to do that here in this city. That's a that's a major accomplishment. Like, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I don't even know if she really understands the impact of that. Um, but how important is that to you for you? Man, it's so dope. It's so dope because I when I hear her talking to other people, mm-hmm. she'd be like, I'm the princess of the funeral home. And I'd be like, Yeah, girl, you are. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. so dope because she understands that, you know, she she saw those sleepless nights. She saw those or she heard those conversations on the phone with the banks. She was she I mean, she's nine, but she's pretty bright. So she understood, um, you know, what it took for me to get here. And mm-hmm. um, it's really important because even something as simple as, um, you know, when I had my billboard on the corner of Arlington and Lover's Lane, I didn't even tell her we just got in the car and I drove past it and to see her face light up it just warmed my heart man I'm like man you know so just to have and you you'll experience those moments where you know that your child is proud of you and that just and so my goal is to even if journey don't want to be a funeral director which I don't think she will Mm -hmm. um you know I want her to know that um she can do whatever she wants right and you know she can she can own her stuff yeah and that's dope. You ultimately passing down, you know, what your mom instilled in you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She, can do, she can do whatever you, you want. You can own it. Whatever whatever you want to do, sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like, you know, some of the most important things that we can continue to instill in our in our children. Um, you know, I know for myself and Sierra, um, we want to instill not just ownership and business and entrepreneurship and things like that. Um, but, you know, really knowing who he is and understand he is powerful beyond his means, you know, despite what the world may say, right. you know, he'll be a black boy and ultimately a black man one day. There's going to be a lot of forces that are going to tell him who he is, but it's important for us to instill, who, you know, who he is at an early age. So when those times come, he can just keep working, man. And, you know, face, face that adversity and ultimately right. do whatever it is that he wants to do. You know what I'm saying? So I, so I, so I think that's dope. Um, Brandy, thank you so much. Oh man. Uh, you know My what I'm pleasure. saying? You, you survived. See, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, listen I, pre- I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to definitely make sure in my will that when I die, make sure I'm buried at Wilkinson's funeral home with, you know what I'm saying? Hey, ain't no ain't no question, ain't no mystery. We going we going we going that route. Uh, so, you know, I want to just say thank you for, for coming on. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, I sh- I'm sure people are gonna really be able to get a lot of value um, from the things you said um, on, on this on this podcast today. So before we get out of here, I have like a few rapid questions that I ask all, all the guests before we go. Cool. Yeah, I peeped your other ones. I know what's. Oh, you. Happen. Oh, you are. I've been watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bet, bet, bet. So the first, the first question is, um, what are your intentions for 2020? Oh, that's. I. I don't think I heard that. Uh huh. See, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Look at you. Oh wait, I did hear that. Yeah. Um. What are my intentions? Mm-hmm. My intentions for this year. Um. What What has to be to be intentional? To okay. be intentional in whatever I choose to do. Um. Intentional. Um. And, and consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh. Consistency is big for me because I want to be able to um, start and, and not only start something, but finish it all the way through. Dope, dope. 
what is, what is your purpose and how is that connected to what you're doing today? I believe that my purpose is to serve mm -hmm. uh, and whatever that looks like, whether it's in the funeral industry, if it's in ministry or if it's being a wife and a mother, um, that is my purpose to, yeah. to be a servant. Dope, dope. What, what about, um, what is it about you that people will be surprised to know? Um, I think people would be surprised to know that I'm really shy. Um, yeah, people be surprised. Uh, I am, you know, I like to, you know, have fun and stuff and I'm kind of outgoing, but I do, um, have that little shy, sensitive spot that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know. Didn't your birthday just pass? It did. So you a Taurus? I am. Oh yeah, Taurus is just a little sensitive. Y'all stubborn and kind of hard, but y'all a little, little sensitive. It's not yeah. you know, so it's yeah. like, Happy belated, by the way. Thanks, man. Um, what scares you? Uh, oof, man. Ah, that's a tough question. Um, losing my purpose. Mm, okay, so not serving. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is um. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is but a single winged bird who cannot fly. That's Langston Hughes. Okay, all right, okay. All right, first time Langston Hughes got quoted on this floor. We coming up, yeah. All right, cool. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, what is the best advice that you ever received? Um, I think the best advice that I received was something as simple as... Um, the golden rule: treat others how you want to be treated. That's the best advice. Yeah, that's that. That can take you everywhere. Yeah, that mm -hmm. can take, take you very far. Yeah. Um, so you know, so I, I I like that. Um, if you could pick up the phone and call your twenty year old self, knowing what you know today, what would you tell yourself? Oh, uh, if I could pick up the phone and call my twenty year old self and tell her what? Knowing what you know today, what would you tell her? Slow down. <laughs> hey, whatever that means, we're going to roll with it. Yep, slow down. down. <laughs> would, you, would you listen? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the fun, that's the funny part about telling ourselves stuff like that. We, you know, we wouldn't listen no way. You know? Right. You had, you had to go through it. So it is. So it is that's right. Um, give everybody, you know, your social media tags, give them the, you know, the funeral home uh, information and things like that. How people can get in contact uh, with you. Um, what you have coming up. Um, give give everybody all that type of information. Ooh, okay. Um, I'm on Facebook, Brandy Wilkinson. I'm on Instagram, Brandy1908. Um, my uh, funeral home is Wilkinson Funeral on Instagram and Wilkinson Funeral Home on Facebook. Um, we are currently putting together uh, a pandemic package and I know it sounds crazy, but this is just the time we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And so we're currently putting something together where families can see what the, what the services, what services they can have um, during this pandemic and the price that they um, have to pay for it and everything that um, the package offers. Um, we are going to have a grand opening once we are out of this. We're going to have a barbecue 
um, like a little community celebration. Mm. Um, and that's really it, man. Good, good, good. Listen, I got a question I want to ask you that I forgot to ask you. Um, give me your top three values that you think a entrepreneur should have. Ooh. Uh, gotta be, you, uh, man, gotta be honest with the folks, gotta be trustworthy. Um, you have to, um, you gotta be about your word. Hmm. Um, you can't say one thing and do another. Right. Um, and, um, man, that's a tough one because I got like 50 of them. <laughs> I mean, I has, yeah. But the main thing is that um, people have to, to trust, respect you, um, and know that you're going to keep your word. Yeah, yeah. That that's good though. Though that again, that that goes goes a long way. You know, having having integrity, um, and yeah. being impeccable with your word. You know, so um, I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, thank thank you again for coming out. I, I really appreciate it. Um, the one last thing that I have my guests do. Um, I am like a podcast junkie. Um, and one of my inspirations for starting this podcast. Um, is an ex NFL player. His name was Arian Foster. When he retired from the NFL, he ended up going into music and he ends, ends up uh, having his own podcast called the Now What Podcast. And one thing that he would do at the end of his show is he would ask his guests to lobby for Air, or for Jim Carrey to come on his show. Um, Jim Carrey, I guess, is one of his most like interesting people. He wanted to sit down and have a conversation with Jim Carrey. Um, so my way of kind of like just showing homage to, to, to Arian um, and, you know, showing my appreciation for what he put out there, I have my guests lobby for Arian Foster to come on to the show. You know, we're going to put that good energy and manifest it. You know what I'm saying? We're going to get him on the show one day. Um, so okay. if you could, look in your camera right now and tell Arian Foster why he should be on the Live Your Purpose podcast. All right, Arian, you should be on the Live Your Purpose podcast because this is a new and upcoming podcast. It's dope. John Morgan is a dope individual that um respects what you're doing and um you just need to get on is he on instagram yeah he on instagram yeah i'm about to friend you right now man <laughs> I'm about to you up. <laughs> yeah that's what's up that's what's up that's what's up i appreciate it brandy again thank you so much um much blessings to you as you continue to you know thrive in your business i want to see you you know continue to grow and become that staple here in the city you know i support you as always in anything in any type of ministry that you in i'm going to continue to support you you are a great leader um and i just appreciate what you've done so i want to say thank you for Thanks, that man. um i appreciate you no problem thank you thank you for coming out that's it another episode live your purpose podcast we out peace